Welcome to today's episode of Technology Beats in Education. Today we're going to be looking at my capstone project for $6.95, Modalities of Learning. Does it matter for information literacy education? I'm April Aikens. I'm the teaching and learning librarian here at Lander University. I'm also a candidate in the Master's of Education program. I do currently hold a Master's of Social Work and a Master's of Science in Information Sciences. My presentation today is going to be looking at the modalities of learning and does it matter for information literacy education? So let me give you a brief overview of what I'm going to be covering in my presentation. And I am very passionate about information literacy, so I find myself kind of really diving into this research and having to cut a lot out that I thought was important. So if there's things that you're more interested in, please reach out and I'm happy to cover that information with you or share some of the resources that I used in my literature review portion of my study. So I'm going to be covering the modalities of learning and defining those for you and then looking at the perspectives of instructional modalities, usage of instructional modalities in academic libraries more specifically, and looking at Lander's information literacy offerings. And then I'm gonna close with a discussion about limitations and future implications that I have from this study and just my own future expectations for the program here at Lander. So first, let me define what modalities of learning is for the purpose of this study. So what I'm looking at is the delivery methods of instruction rather than learning styles, which sometimes is considered here by experts in the field. But let me break down the main modalities of learning in the next few slides for you. So first you have the face-to-face -face learning. And as you can see on the slide here, I have what looks like basically any probably college campus instructional space. So you have students kind of in a half semicircle setup looking towards the same screen. So there's probably a professor or instructor at the front of the classroom who is providing them with knowledge and having them interact with each other. You've got students in the classroom that are talking to each other. You have them using their technology, which we know has been an advancement over the years. Technology is even brought into face-to-face -face courses now. Some of them are on tablets, some are probably on their phones, others are on their laptops. So that's important to point out that the students may have technology in the classroom, but that's not what's driving the class itself. So the instructor and the students are in the same location at the same time the instruction is happening. So that's what a face-to-face -face learning is, and that's what most people were taught to interact with and produce presentations for. So next we have online learning. In online learning, there's two different elements within online learning. One is synchronous and one is asynchronous learning. And I'm gonna cover that a little bit more in just a minute, but I found some really cool information about the history of distance education. So online learning, just simply, it's using technology to bring people together that may not be in the same location at the same time. So in an article by Waldeb Yasin and Osfa in 2020, 
They stated that online education is grounded in distance education, and even today, those terms are even still used interchangeably. But the history of distance education, in fact, goes back as far as 1728, with the first distance course established in Boston using lessons sent by mail. Like, to me, that's just crazy. Those correspondence courses where information was sent to you, you did the education, you returned it. We moved to educational television, to video conferencing. So the technology has just improved, improved, improved to help education reach more people. So by the early 2000s, we saw textbooks transitioning to electronic versions. And a decade later, online class delivery systems have become a commonplace even in primarily face-to-face -face teaching and learning environments. So Swanson and Swanson in 2019 talk a little bit more about online classes and the fact that the face-to-face -face component is eliminated for an online class and that they may be offered either synchronous or asynchronous. And I like their definition, so I'm gonna kind of quote this exactly like they wrote it. Synchronous learning is when classes have a set schedule and time frame. Students and instructors are online at the same time in order to participate in the class. Asynchronous classes let students complete their work on their own time. Students are given a time frame, usually a one week window, during which they need to connect to the class and listen to lectures, take exams and quizzes, and complete assignments like maybe discussion boards. So the third area of learning modalities is a blended or a hybrid learning experience. And Swanson and Swanson relied on the definition from the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee for hybrid classes that states that in a hybrid class, much of the course learning is moved online, which in turn makes it possible to reduce the time spent in the classroom. And I think even with face-to-face -face learning, we're using more of a hybrid blended model with those when we flip our classrooms. So when we have the students do the readings and the instruction and maybe watch some lectures before they come in the classroom and the classroom is turned into more of a, like a skills lab or an interactive discussion and that sort of thing. So we are even seeing hybrid showing up more than we probably even think about. But other popular terms for hybrid is a blended course or a mixed mode course. And here at Lander, we offer most of these. We do provide face-to-face -face learning. We have online learning. We do that more as an asynchronous program rather than synchronous. And I think over time, that's going to change, hopefully. And then the third kind, we do hybrid learning. We have some hybrid classes available for students. So let's dive a little bit more into information literacy. If you're not familiar with this, this is a term that us librarians use to describe the instruction that we provide for students. And just to give a little background on information literacy and where it's rooted within library instruction. So according to ACRL, which is the Association of College and Research Libraries, information literacy is the set of skills needed to find, retrieve, analyze, and use information. And in order to guide instruction librarians interested in promoting information literacy skills, ACRL published the Information Literacy Competency Standards for Higher Education in 2000. The ability to utilize a variety of tools and technologies from face-to-face -face instruction to synchronous and asynchronous online assistance appears to be a trend for libraries that are taking the lead in distance information library instruction. 
Many of those libraries that are engaged in the distance information literacy instruction appear to be approaching the unique challenges of the distance learning environments dynamically and creatively. To me, I read this and I thought, wow, here at Lander, we are one of those kind of charging the way and figuring out how to make this work. This article that I quoted is from 2006 by McLean and Dew. So obviously things have changed since 2006, but I feel like it's still a very, we're ahead of the curve here at Lander. So in an article by Hess in 2015, Motivational Design and Information Literacy Instruction, she goes on to state that at higher education level, information literate individuals should be able to determine their information need, access needed information efficiently and effectively, critically evaluate the inf this information, incorporate and use information in one's knowledge base, and understand and respect ethical and legal concerns for information use and access. And instead of a prescriptive set of educational objectives that was in that original information literacy standards, we have a new guiding document, which is the framework for information literacy. And this presents six frames that are interconnected core concepts with flexible options for interpretation. These frames, scholarship is a conversation, research is inquiry, authority is contextual and constructed, information creation as a process, searching as exploration, and information has value. These all provide structure for corresponding sets of knowledge practices and dispositions that we use within our instruction. So perspectives of instructional modalities. Here I've put up a binocular set, like that you're gonna be looking out on a landscape. Here I can picture, you know, an overlook in the mountains and you can see in the distance. So I want to consider that wide perspective as I look at the options that are available when it comes to these instructional modalities and comparing them to determine, are we providing what our students need? So that's why I use this image here on the screen. But there's considerations. Our students are all different and unique. So we need to make sure that we're considering that as we build our courses. So I wanted to bring out a few things I found within the within the literature. So what up Yasin and Osifo in 2020, talk about distance education students early on were largely located in rural remote areas. And we have a lot of that here around Leander, but we're being able to access education better than have in the past. So they, with this early students, they were without geographical access to higher education. But today, however, online education is much more than an alternative for working adults with little access to the classroom. It's become a desirable option used by people of all ages and backgrounds to either fully provide or at least supplement their education needs. And in a study from 2011, which I know that's a little bit dated, that's over 10 years ago, by Ambient Insight Research showed that roughly a million and a quarter higher education students took 100% of their courses online and over 10.5 million students took some of their classes online. So with the rising tuition costs and the growing numbers of people needing to work full time to be able to afford college, it's inevitable that we need to look at ways to provide online education for our students to make it lower cost and a flexible opportunity. 
When utilized effectively, Casey in 2008, which was cited within the Waldup Yasin and Osifor article, stated that when utilized effectively, online options have provided higher education institutions with relatively inexpensive and flexible opportunities to grow their offerings far beyond their immediate proximity. I think this is important to point out here at Lander specifically that we've almost outgrown our physical spaces. So what can we do to ensure that we are providing higher education to our students around the seven counties that we typically focus our recruiting on? So what do we do? We move online. We provide alternatives that way. So I think that's important to consider. In an article beyond online versus face-to-face comparisons in 2018 by Slover and Mandarnock, they saw that investigations of the learning equivalence between online and campus-based instruction typically fail to consider student age as a mediating factor in the learning experience. And I think this is important to consider who are taking the courses that we're offering. So which age group is doing that? And what are the motivations behind that? And that's important to consider. There was multiple articles I read that looked at that. So Eris Swinton and Anderson in 2018 spoke on this as well. And then Dumford and Miller brought out a point in 2018 about the assessment of our online learning programs and that we should take into account some of the unique aspects of this type of learning environment as we go to assess the programs. So using established techniques for student success in traditional classrooms do not always work in distance courses is their statement. They also wanted to consider the different background characteristics in terms of gender, age, academic discipline, and prior education and how that contributes to which type of course they use. So when I start comparing numbers and you start thinking about how did the online version work versus the in-person, you also have to consider the students and the demographics that are being brought into that. What are their motivations and what are their goals for taking those courses? So let's dive into some of the research that I looked at for higher education specifically. And I really appreciated an article by Stark in 2016 examining the role of motivation and learning strategies and student success in online versus face-to-face courses. And the goal was to examine whether taking a course online or face-to-face influences student motivation to succeed in that course, as well as to identify the strategies they employ to learn in that particular course and how student motivations and learning strategies relate to course performance. And overall, the study showed differences in the reported motivations and use of learning tech strategies between students in face-to-face and online courses, and it revealed some connections between different types of motivation and learning strategies and student performance in a course. So students who may not have any experience in an online environment may choose not to take an online course. So if they were forced to because that was the only option they had, they may do poorly in that course. So we need to consider that as we think through what we offer and how we offer that. A lot of the research I found for higher education and the difference between online and face-to-face and kind of comparing those options were mostly in business courses, which I found that kind of interesting because I would have thought there would have been a broader range. Maybe humanities courses would have shown up more as well, and it didn't. It was really business courses that I saw. 
me scroll through my notes just a little bit. So one element that I don't really think I had thought of very much, and I was glad to see this article and I've got it in my stack of articles to go back to and refer to on occasion because I really wanna improve what I'm doing in my teaching. It's an article by Pierre and Wahi in 2019, Deeper Learning Methods and Modalities in Higher Education. So they talk about deep learning and it's been defined as a type of learning which in contrast to traditional lecture or chalk and talk methods, it activates the learner and motivates them to actively explore, engage with, and reflect on and produce knowledge rather than them having them simply recall and regurgitate information. So I see deep learning being one of those constructivist approaches to education, which I found very valuable within my program here at Lander within the um, Masters of Education in that there was a, that approach was taken quite often. And they did go on to state that while DL theory has been in existence prior to the rise of online educational programs, it has recently become more popular as a useful framework to consider when designing online curricular and education and higher education specifically. There was one article that I Although it was a little bit dated, it's 2016, it was a comparison of learning outcomes in skill-based courses. And I thought that was important to look at because I see information literacy as a skill set, not necessarily just a knowledge piece. So Callister and Love are the ones that wrote this article. And the study asked the question, can skills-based courses taught online achieve the same outcomes as face-to-face -face courses in which the instructor and students interacting in real time may have higher levels of interaction, thus potentially facilitating higher levels of skill improvement. So in summary, within the research, the research has examined whether or not student learning outcomes in online courses are comparable to those to face-to-faces, and has been found mixed results across the board. Some found no differences where others found that students in online courses perform better than those in traditional courses, and it's just, it's a mixed bag throughout. All the articles that I found, that's what I was seeing. They did their literature reviews and they came up with those assumptions. But their findings suggest that students in the online format are mastering the content of the negotiation class at essentially the same rate as those students in the face-to-face. -face. However, they're not mastering the skill of negotiating as well as the students in the face-to-face -face class. And I think that's something important to consider with the information literacy here at Lander, that the students are mastering that skill, not just they can regurgitate the information, they got the content. They need to be able to use it in their everyday life. Back to the Waldrop Johnson and Osifo article from 2020, their findings stated that there's no clear difference between face-to-face -face and online learning outcomes. Just as there's no difference in the learning outcomes of various pedagogical approaches with face-to-face, -face, the same applies to online learning. But it may also be time to stop, stop attempting to make the online experience as similar to the face-to-face -face as possible. They go on to say, creating a successful online course entails much more than just placing a course design for a physical environment on the internet. Of course, it is not the number of technologies faculty incorporate into the overall design of their online course that will win the day. It's the pedagogy. And I think that's super important to think through. And as I move further into my presentation and I start talking about what we're doing at Lander with our information literacy courses, I want to explain that 
we understood that the course modality does affect how the course is being taught. So let me move on to academic libraries. And there was not a lot of research out there for academic libraries, which was a little frustrating to me because I was hoping to find more. And I know that information literacy has been being taught for years. You know, 2000 is when we first got the first set of standards. And then in 2015, we got the framework and have been working from that ever since. So there was a couple articles that I found that really keyed in on credit bearing courses. And they said that online performance actually did better than in person. And this is in 2008, so pretty dated here on the research. In 2003, there was an article that Nichols, Schaefer, and Shockey wrote, Changing the Face of Instruction. And they looked at how web-based information literacy tutorials are effective versus like an in-person instruction and how does that impact it. The results of their study confirmed that the author's hypothesis that students learn as much from an online tutorial as from, from traditional in-class instruction and that they're satisfied with the online instruction. So they found that it, it didn't matter. So let's move into, and like I said, it was very limited on the, the research out there in academic libraries. So now I'm gonna fo focus on the usage of instructional modalities in academic libraries. So first I wanna like dive deeper into credit bearing courses. And the reason I, I wanna make sure I pull this out separately from the other modalities is because that's what my study focused on. So Yarden, Sasserfeer, and Corey in 2018 basically started comparing peers for credit-bearing information literacy courses in academic libraries. They know that academic librarians have long sought to deliver information literacy-based instruction in some form as a service to their patrons or their students. The foundation for this can be traced back to 1881 when R.C. Davis pioneered the idea at the University of Michigan. So we've definitely seen the need for it. It's been around for a long time, but initiatives on campus involving the institution's strategic planning, the curriculum changes and accreditation reviews have helped drive and kind of influence how we've created our instructional opportunities for students. And they found in their particular survey when they surveyed librarians across the United States that 50% of the group of peers is delivering credit bearing information literacy courses, which is higher than what they've seen in the past, which was ranking between 25 and 45%. And again, a lot of the studies were saying that the two are very similar, like the results are about the same when it comes to online versus in-person, face-to-face, how the students are interacting. So next I wanna take a look at other instructional modalities. So what else are we doing within the library to teach information literacy skills as a whole across the United States? So in an article by Mystery, Boz, Nettleball, Bishop, Contrell, Perez, and Siffin in 2011, they talked about learning objects. And I think this was a good article to read because it also talked about the need for librarians to know about pedagogy and instructional design. So definition of, of learning objectives, I mean, excuse me, learning objects. 
It's a reusable instructional resource, usually digital and web-based, developed to support learning. And it can be reused, it can be integrated into learning management systems, it can be integrated into our credit-bearing courses, into our website for students to access on their own. So it can be things like instructional models, tutorials, instructional games, blogs, research guides, um, narrated presentations, podcasts, photos, quizzes, surveys, videos, you know, whatever you can think of. And it's that just in case, just in time, just for you approach to instruction. So some of the things that we've been doing to provide instruction maybe outside of the traditional classroom through academic libraries is exploring the embedded information literacy programs. So basically, librarians are embedding themselves within either face-to-face -face courses where they're going to the classroom three or four times over the course of the semester, helping students through their research process, or they're embedding themselves within learning management systems. So they're creating maybe discussion boards and videos where the students can access it and interact with the librarian in their course itself. And that was highlighted in an article by Russo in 2017. In 2017 also, Rutledge and Lemire put out an article called Broadening Boundaries, and they really wanted us to start thinking about beyond just that traditional classroom approach. And I think that's something here at Lander that we've been doing in the library. We hope to continue and broaden that, but these were some four areas of growth that they encouraged when it came to instructional modalities. So integrating information literacy across the curriculum, getting it in the courses, whether we're in the classroom teaching it to them or we're providing little snippets of instruction for the professor to add maybe to the learning management system. And here at Lander, it's Blackboard. So if I refer to Blackboard, that's what I'm talking about, our learning management system. So identifying scalable methods to provide information literacy support inside and outside of those formal classrooms, facilitating the creation of personalized learning environments, and engaging students and faculty in social and participatory learning. So workshops and other ways that we can interact with students is very important as well. A couple other pieces I wanna to touch on from my research itself was the need to scaffold our information literacy program across the students' four years here. We, you know, most places you overload those first year students with all the information they need about every resource on campus, but why not give it to them at the point of need? Why not wait till that sophomore year when they're getting into their major and they're learning how to, I've got to start doing research or I've got to start reading trade magazines and understanding that. So we want to look at a more scaffold approach. And that was something that Egan, Witt and Chartier in 2017 talked about with their going beyond the one shot. One last piece I'll touch on um, is a citation analysis that Clark and Chinberg did in 2010. And they were really trying to compare online versus face-to-face -face sections and how they did after their interaction with the librarian. And they found the only notable difference between the two was the percentage of peer-reviewed journal articles that were cited for those in the online version. And they said that the, the class that they were teaching this in actually didn't require peer-reviewed journals. So it was interesting that those students did pull in that many peer-reviewed journals. They were told to come up with a variety of sources, 
but it was not geared to peer reviewed. I think it was a arts, like a visual arts course that they were embedded in to start with. So let me dive into what we're doing here at Lander. And then I want to compare the two different modalities of our information literacy or Info 101 course here at Lander. So for us, we do provide a credit bearing course. Currently, we have a face-to-face -face version. It's and two o'clock. We have an asynchronous online course as well. And that's what I'm gonna be doing my comparing for the study itself. The other modalities that we provide are workshops where we just kind of have a topic, throw it out there and have people come attend. Um, those can be from using our resources to learning how to do research or even thinking about information literacy skills such as news literacy, you know, thinking about misinformation and disinformation and how we can stop the spread of those. Um, we have one-shot one sessions, which are what we refer to when we come into a particular class and present a module for them. We have our online learning objects, which are tutorials and other learning videos that we provide on our website or through our blog. We have our reference interactions where we interact with students, faculty, and staff and teach them how to access what they're needing and how to critically think about it. And then we provide orientations, whether that's our freshman orientation through Link 101, we provide a complete module with an activity that they learn about the, the, pro, the resources here at Lander for the library, as well as get them using them and answering some questions. We've set it up as almost a digital um, escape room for students. And then we also provide instruction for homeschool or some of the local high schools, getting them aware of research before they come into college. So here's the bulk of my study. So my comparison of instructional modalities here at Lander. We offer a one credit information literacy course called Info 101. This course is typically presented over the course of a semester. Over the summer, we revised this course. We picked a brand new textbook, which is an open educational resource. We're trying to cut costs as much as we can for students. We've switched it to an eight week module. So we're able to offer two different, you know, we could offer one in the first half of the semester and one at the second half. We've really encouraged to do it in the first half. That way they can, the students can then apply those skills in the second half when all those research assignments start coming in for their classes. We find that's important. Um, we have basically created all of the modules in a sandbox in Blackboard. So everything is built there. We can quickly tweak things within it and then upload that to our individual course modules. So it's super helpful that we have everything in one place. Everything is presenting the same. The thing that we do that is different is the in-person version does their discussion in person. So the professor, the instructor comes in and they have the discussion in class and then do their lecture and then move their activities and that sort of thing. For the online version, those students interact in the discussion through a discussion board. So the template that we've kind of copy over into each course hides that discussion board for the face-to-face -face version. So the next few slides I'm gonna cover are showing the results of the grade distribution, as well as our pre and post tests that we provide for our students. So here's the grade distribution by course modality. So looking at the face-to-face -face courses, which are in yellow, and then the online courses, which are in blue. So you can see the distribution is pretty similar as it comes across. And I will tell you that the two that made Fs in the course, there was one in person and one online, they basically just didn't turn in assignments. 
that's where they lost the credit there. But there were 19 students in the online course and there were 13 in the face-to-face -face course. So you can see the distribution is a little off in that respect because of the number of students in each course. So this is the information literacy skills pre-survey. So the score for that. There was 10 questions that the students answered and it covered a variety of topics that relate back to the information literacy. And if you use the slides at the top, you'll see that pre-post survey questions. You can click on that link and that's gonna provide you, here, I'll show you where that is, right here. That will show you the questions that are asked. So this is the pre-survey face-to-face, correct answers versus incorrect answers, and then compared at the bottom, to the pre-survey responses from the online students. So let me move my talking head here for a second. So you can see comparing the two where those numbers are. So yellow is correct answers here and blue is incorrect answers. And these questions were multiple choice. So it was easy to, to grade those as well. So information literacy skills post-survey, and I'll mention this again when I get to my limitations, but not all students completed the post-test. So that does kind of skew the numbers a little bit when you look at it, if you start narrowing it down. But again, the yellow is the face-to-face -face students and the blue is the online students. And then here's a breakdown of those questions, correct answers versus incorrect answers for both sets of courses. And you can see along the bottom, I do have the different types of questions that were asked, what it was focusing on. But again, if you use that link on the previous slide, you can see what the questions actually were. And they're in order here on the screen. But I think overall, we came out with very similar results between the two classes that were taught. I will mention that we had a very small sample size for the study and that those students, not all of them completed the post-test, which did impact how we were able to obtain the information, like what we were able to get out of it. We also, two different librarians taught the courses. So someone that typically teaches online taught the online version and someone that typically teaches in person taught the in-person. So that would be something that may be good to have a comparison of somebody with the same professor in both options as well. So other limitations that I found um, is the fact that librarians do not know a lot about pedagogy. We have not been taught that. We've not been taught instructional design. So when we're building our learning objects, when we're creating courses, we don't have that knowledge which is very, I think is critical for us to be successful. So that's something that I'm hoping from my experience in this program as a whole, I will be able to push more of that information out to my coworkers as we move forward with our offerings in the library. So future implications. Um, these are things that I myself want to make certain that I am doing. And the big one that I just wanted to be reminded of and I thought was great that McLean and Dew in 20, 2006 said that according to the Association of College and Research Libraries guidelines for distance learning library services, it is essential that each institution provide distance learning students with instructional services equivalent to those provided on campus students. 
including the provision of a program of library user instruction designed to instill independent and effective information literacy skills. So I think that's our goal and we need to stick with that. I do have these guidelines printed out. I use them often when I'm thinking about how we're going to build something or how we're gonna make something happen. I do wanna consider from Clark and Chinberg in 2010 with that citation analysis, the fact of motivation is a critical factor in learning and instruction. So I wanna find ways to pull in more motivational options for students. I wanna make sure that we're covering critical thinking skills a little bit further than we already do. And I wanna dive into more of the instructional design models that are out there to make sure that we are giving that full rich learning environment for our students. I think that's important to remember. And then this is a link for my references. And I will say that some of the references listed on there, I've not actually discussed in my presentation, but I found them very valuable in my reading and they're probably in my stack I'm gonna go back to as I continue to work on ways to improve our, our course, our sessions, and my just everyday knowledge of how I interact with students. So I really appreciate your, your attendance all the way through my presentation. If you have questions about anything that I covered, please send me an email. I'm happy to maybe talk through this with you or you know, chat with you through an email. So thank you so much.